What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheese. It's the Week 16 preview. The Packers took on the Browns on Christmas night at Lambeau Field and snuck away with a 24-22 victory. So much to get into. The offense started out hot but stalled in the second half. And the defense, what a confusing day for the defense. Great in some aspects, as bad as ever in others. Not going to want to miss this episode. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Weekly Cheese. Super Bowl! 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 What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheese. I'm your host, Joe Ivan, here with me, as always, in studios, Chris. Chris, what's going on? Ho, 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 Joe. Hey. I hope your holidays were great. The Packers game, another dramatic, another emotional, another uh, a thriller of a game, let's say. It really was. A, a happy holidays to you, and it was a very Merry Christmas in Green Bay on Saturday night. I mean, it was a beautiful and historic Christmas evening at Lambeau Field. And the Packers, they were able to fend off the Browns' late-game comeback and leave that game with a hard-fought 24-22 victory. You're totally right. It was it was an intense game. It was a miraculous finish. And, hey, it was, again, once, once again, a little too close for comfort. I mean... It should not have been that way. Uh, the Packers seem to be in such control heading into the half, and to have the game end as it did, 24-22. Uh, like to see a little better, but nonetheless, a win is a win in the National Football League, and the Packers were able to come come away with one. Yeah, the only thing missing in Green Bay on Christmas Day was some snow, Joe. That was truly the only thing. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a little colder. I wish it would have snowed, especially at the end of the game for them there. My my Uncle Mike was out there. It was his birthday. He was actually in the picture uh, of Russell Douglas handing the football to the fan in the stands. You could see my Uncle Mike and my Aunt Deb in the background losing their minds. Wow. So, pr- good day for them. I'm Happy birthday to my Uncle Mike. Shout out Uncle Mike. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. And that, thanks for tuning in. This is yeah the weekly cheese. But with that win, the Packers, they remain in control of their own destiny. They still own the league's best record, 11-3. and they remain a game ahead of everyone else in the NFC playoff standings. And for the second straight year, they're eyeing down home field advantage in the playoffs. And the beauty of the win is that the de- their destiny is still in their own hands. Dropping that game to the Browns on Saturday would have made things very interesting going down the stretch here in the NFC playoff picture. Four losses makes them tied with the Bucks, makes them tied with the... Cowboys, so being able to come away, still three losses on the record and in total control of their destiny heading down the final two weeks of the regular season is exactly where they want it to be, and they got it done. It wasn't pretty, but they got it done. Once again, it was a tale of two halves for the Green Bay Packers. In the first half, everything seemed to be clicking for them. I mean, the defense, it was bending but refused to break. They picked Baker Mayfield off three times in the first half and responded to each of those turnovers with a touchdown of their own. And it allowed them to go into the halftime with a 21-12 lead, getting the ball out of break. It just seemed like the Packers were in total control of this game. And by halftime, it felt over. It felt over. Um, But unfortunately, the same cannot be said for the second half. I mean... The Packers, they opened the half with an 11-play drive. It resulted in a field goal. And after that, the Packers' offense just, they stalled. They really did. Devontae said they took their foot off the gas. It's a little bit of a cliche, but considering it did feel like the game was wrapped up at half, it's kind of, 
easy to believe that they might have just lost their edge a little bit. This is totally personal opinion, but I, I don't know. You could tell me what you think about it. But whenever I'm watching a game, it's happened a couple times with the Packers this year, But and the team is like firing going into halftime, and they come out, and they end their first drive, especially a long one or a good drive with the field goal. It's like something right there. I know the second half is going to get crazy. It's like if you don't get that touchdown, I think – how like how can you you know what I mean? Your momentum gets stopped. I'm not sure, and I think that's what happened here. It definitely did a touchdown right out of half. Would've it would have sealed it. It would have sealed. It would have killed the momentum after that 11 play or 11 minute drive, whatever you yeah, it was an you had just play, mentioned. Yes, six minute drive they put together and they got, came away exactly. with three points. That, that's def- you know it's semi defeating for the Packers. You got to put one in there, put them away early, and that just didn't happen. It didn't happen, and yeah, they lost all their offensive momentum. They only ran. 11 plays throughout the remainder of the game from that point forward and the offense really was held on the sideline for the majority of the second half by the Cleveland Browns and and their extremely productive running attack they were able to just drain the clock and and keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline which as we know is the recipe for defeating the Green Bay Packers keeping the ball out of Aaron's hands and making him sit there and watch as the defense struggles to get off the field Uh, but luckily the defense despite having trouble getting off the field the entire game even in the first half if not for the interceptions the Browns are driving but the defense they were able to have some timely sacks that forced field goals and punts and they were able to come up with yet another clutch game-winning interception to leave the game victorious another epic interception to close it out but yeah the defense didn't have the best day but they came up when they needed to Um, so we'll break down the game we'll go into the offense and break down the defense as is a custom here on the weekly cheese as far as the offense goes Aaron Rodgers great game from him record breaker record breaking game from him 24 for 34 202 yards, three touchdowns, a 115 passer rating. Just another reason why, showing the world once again that he truly is the MVP of the NFL. Um, And yeah, his first touchdown pass of the game to Alan Lazard broke the Packers' all-time touchdown record, 443rd of his career, passing Brett Favre. Uh, And once he did that, uh, Brett Favre came up on the – jumbotron and he had a message for Aaron congratulated him for passing the record and asked just one thing of him and that is to bring us another Super Bowl epic moment uh, went viral obviously on the Packers internet and uh yeah he could not be more right this is the year Aaron brings us another Super Bowl and then after that touchdown pass the record breaker to Lazard he then threw two touchdowns to Devontae in the first half, um, and that broke yet another Packers record, his connection to Devontae. They became the most productive duo in Packers history. Uh, going into the game, they had 65 touchdown connections between the two of them, tying Aaron and Jordy's record. And uh, with that first touchdown there in the, uh, to Devontae, they broke the all-time Packers duo touchdown record. End of the game now. They have 67 touchdown connections between the two of them. And, yeah, just a record-breaking night for both Devontae and Aaron, our stars. And I couldn't be happier for the two guys. I mean, we'll get into Devontae Adams and his records in a, in a second there. But, man, anything to say about the historic night from these two great football players? No, it was electric. If I'm being selfish, I I wish Aaron's record, both of his records were with Devontae, but Lazard, I'm glad Lazard caught the ball, but some quarterbacks don't even finish their career with 65, 66 connections and those two have it alone, so it's just phenomenal. Another dramatic, dramatic game, but it's what we love to see in Green Bay. Yeah, and the Packers, they were without Marquez Valdez-Scanling, who was on the COVID list last week. After the game, Devontae said his prayer celebration was for MVS. Apparently, MVS is struggling right now. I don't know if it's him with the COVID or a family member. Whatever the situation is, prayers and thoughts out to Marquez Valdez-Scanling. Hope he comes back healthy and soon. (laughs) But since he wasn't out there, 
Equiminius St. Brown. He would have to come in and fill that wide receiver three role. Um, and ultimately, six different players caught a pass on Saturday for the Packers. But with that being said, the passing attack was primarily just a two-man game between Devontae and Aaron. Devontae Adams was single-covered the majority of the game for whatever reason, and he totally made the Browns pay for having that be the game plan. He finished the game, 10 receptions, 114 yards, and two touchdowns. And with that, he became the first and only player in NFL history to log eight or more games with 100-plus yards, 10-plus receptions, and multiple touchdowns. Absolutely mind-blowing when you think about all the great wide receivers that this game has had. The fact that Devontae Adams is the only one with eight or more games like he had on Sunday, it's tremendous. Tremendous. And this game was Devontae's 30th career game with 100 or more yards, and he now sits just two games behind James Lofton for the most 100-yard games in Packers history, which is another mind-blowing thing to think about. I mean, James Lofton's a Hall of Famer, 32 career, 100-yard games, and Devontae has a chance to break that record before this season comes to an end. And after the game, Aaron stated that Devontae Adams is the most dominant player he's ever played with in his career. Uh, That means more dominant than Charles Woodson, which is just such an honor for Aaron to bestow upon Devontae Adams. And it's just proof that Devontae Adams is a special player, the best receiver in Packers history, and a surefire Hall of Famer once his career is all said and done. And hopefully uh, this campaign he's putting on here in the 2021 season will uh, prove to Goot that Devontae Adams is worth every penny that he's asking for. And hopefully once this season ends and we're Super Bowl champions, all of that will work itself out. But as of right now, Devontae is having a great year and breaking records what seems to be week in and week out. Uh, He did have an uncharacteristic drop on a deep ball at the end of the game, um, which hurt. It gave the Browns the ball back with a chance to win the game. Um, Obviously, it's a tough drop. The ball hit the light, Devontae said, at a weird angle, and he just couldn't come down with it. But that drop's already forgiven. Players drop balls, and Devontae rarely ever does it. Yeah, we could blame that one on ourselves. We mushed him last week when we mentioned his stat about his consecutive catches past 20 yards. Yeah, when he dropped it, I was looking at the ticker. I was like, it must have been 19 and a half yards. It can't have been over 20 yards. He did did have a 20-yarder earlier in the game, which made it 91 straight. Uh, And you could just see on that play before it even, like, Happened. The pre-snap look, Devontae was getting single-man coverage pressed at the line, and you just knew he was going to beat his guy. Uh, It looked like a big play from the pre-snap, and it could have been. It would have been a huge play. Devontae probably could have taken it to the house there uh, if not for losing it in the light there. But, again, that drop is forgiven immediately. It's Devontae Adams and I could count on one hand how many drops he has this season. That honestly might have been his first drop of the year. So it's all right. It happens, and we move on. Uh, But outside of Devontae, the receiving numbers were really pedestrian for the rest of the crew. I mean, Lazard was the next most productive player. Two catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. He caught the record breaker, the first touchdown of the game. Uh, fought for every last yard and full extension to the pylon, was able to get in. Um, But then he made a beautiful grab on the very next series down the right sideline for a big gain, 30-something-odd yards. Great game from Lazard, and it's nice to see him stack positive games uh, third straight now, and it's good to get him going down this home stretch as we enter the most important time of the year, and that's January football. Um, But outside of them, I mean, Aaron Jones, five catches, 21 yards. A.J. Dillon, three catches, 15 yards. And then the tight ends. DeGuara had two for five, and Big Dog had two for two. 
And m- mentioning Big Dog, Joe, did you happen to get a glimpse of his cleats in the, in the warm-up? I don't think he wore them during the game. You're definitely probably not allowed to wear them during the game, but they were like Grinch, Christmas-themed. Yeah, Jordan they were hairy, tens. yeah. Hairy, they were, yes. Then they're Jordan 10s. They were pretty cool cleats. They were crazy, a little bit ugly, but... Ugly, but festive. You got to give them credit for the definitely festive. Definitely festive, yes. and I would like to know how he acquired those cleats. Oh yeah, he probably. I wonder had, who you know, customized he has a them guy. for him. You think yeah. it was Mosh? Probably Mosh, or there's so many people that do that. Who nowadays. knows if Mosh would ever customize a pair of sh- cleats for a Packers player? You know that guy's a diehard Vikings fan. I did not know yeah. he was a diehard, Mosh but wow, diehard Vikings. Oh, fan. so definitely not Mosh. Then there's probably a Wisconsin or a Chicago. I guess not Chicago. Somebody in that area who's not a opposing. An enemies team fan member. Yeah, and I'm a fan of Mosh's work. It's just a shame he has to be a Vikings fan. Yeah, that stinks. Some people are born into a life of misery like Vikings fans. Yeah, so. like that. Did you see the, the clip of that teacher in Minnesota basically raging when the, no. Vi- the Monday morning after the Vikings lost? He was like, we were all born here. We're all Vikings fans. We're stuck here. Just get <laughs> over it. <laughs> <laughs> It couldn't be more true. I know my friend Borghese, big Vikings fan, he's been very frustrated this season. I mean, the Vikings, we could get into a whole conversation on how abysmal they are. They've led by six nearly every single game this season, and you know the type of year they're having. But, hey, fortunately for us, this is not a Vikings podcast. In fact, the only the next time we'll be speaking about them is next week after we beat them into the ground at Lambeau <laughs> Field. Um, but... Yeah, good day for the Packers receiving game. It really was just the Aaron and Devontae show, and it should be when Devontae is single-covered the entire game. When he's single-covered, he might as well be wide open. Yeah, it's the equivalent to that. So, uh, yeah, great game from him, uh, great game from Aaron, and it's good to see six other guys get involved in the passing game, and at least in some capacity there. But the Packers, they were also able to run the ball a little bit against this Browns team. They ran 24 times for 109 yards as a team. And as always, they had a healthy combination of Jones and Dylan. Jones had 12 carries for 66 yards, 5.5 per. And A.J. Dillon, 9 carries for 41 yards, 4.6 per. Um, so, yeah, solid day running the ball for the squad. Over 100 yards on the game. Lazard also had a, a one carry on a reverse sweep for 13 yards. That was nice. Um the worst play of the game, unfortunately, was that reverse sweep to Equiminius St. Brown for a loss of 10 on first and 10. That was just bad play call. LaFleur admitted to it at there at the uh, post-game presser. He said that uh, it was a tough call, and hey, he's done a good job this season calling the plays. That was probably the worst play call the entire season, honestly. Totally stifled that drive uh, at a time where the Packers really needed to get something going. Yeah, uh, But... It was a solid. It was a solid game in both aspects for the offense, um, especially in the first half. They were able to move the ball well, and a lot of that production, especially on the ground, uh, can be attributed to the fantastic play of the Packers' offensive line. Uh, the line of Yash Nyman, John Runyon, Lucas Patrick, Royce Newman, and Dennis Kelly. They didn't allow one sack on the entire game. The first game this season with zero sacks. And they only allowed four quarterback hits, which is impressive considering they're taking on a Browns defense that is good. They're a solid defensive unit, and they're spearheaded by Miles Garrett, who's a potential defensive player of the year candidate, a, a dominant pass rusher. So the fact that they were able to suppress him and the Browns defensive line as a whole, good on that that offensive front, I mean. The offensive front that last week was referred to as makeshift by Joe Buck. Yeah, Joe Buck has no idea what he's talking about. I, I guess you could call them makeshift. They're guys that are slapping together, but they are showing out. The only their biggest mistake in my eyes yesterday was stepping on Aaron's toe. Yes, yes. Who was that, Royce? Royce Newman did have the minor faux pas that was... That's as good as a sack right there. Yeah, <laughs> it was tough to watch. He stepped on Aaron's injured toe. Appeared to re-aggravate it. I mean, how could it not get re-aggravated when the cleat of 360-pound Royce Newman is coming down on it with all its force? Um, it was concerning at the time uh, when when Aaron was hobbling around, but Aaron said after the game that 
It didn't set him back. It just simply brought him back to where he was a couple weeks ago. He said he was feeling real good coming into the game. And that Royce Cleet just kind of set him back to stage one there with his injured toe. Um, I mean, he didn't blame Royce. He said it was an accident. Accidents happen. But what I will say is, in the preseason, we did observe Royce Newman stepping on the feet of the quarterback a couple times. And it was Jordan Love and, and, and Ben Kirk that he was stepping on. And I remember explicitly saying when it happened that he cannot be doing that to Aaron Rodgers. You, you just can't. It's not a good look when a guard is getting pushed back and stepping on the quarterback's feet. Um, and he really has avoided doing it all season long. It's just a shame it had to happen the one day Aaron's toe was starting to feel a little better. But adversity happens. Aaron was able to fight through the pain. He went to the back a little early after, before halftime to get a shot, I assume. But he's tough. He's going to play through it and don't expect it to be something that's going to hinder his level of play going forward. But, yes, Chris, major faux pas major from faux Royce pas. Newman. Um, and another observation from the offensive line uh, that Aaron alluded to kind of being a reason that the offensive play calls were a little strange there on some of those l- late-game drives. Yash left the game for a series. Uh, don't exactly know what the injury was or why he was on the sideline, but Ben Braden was forced to come in and play a series, and it ended up being a three-and-out. The Packers ran three straight run plays um, to basically just make sure Ben Braden was comfortable in there. They didn't want to throw a hard count out at him or put him in an area to get Aaron sacked. I mean, they really tried to protect Ben Braden when he was out there. I will say that he absolutely leveled a Browns defender, a defensive back, on one of the running plays. It was kind of an unnecessary lead block. He laid down there just totally He had to get some guy. tape out there. Um, and that's basically when I noticed he was out there. I was like, what? Ben Braden? <laughs> what the hell is he doing out there? But he was only out there for three plays. The Packers ended up punting, and Yash did return on the very next series, which was great to see. I mean, Yash Nyman played phenomenal phenomenal he did not allow one pressure he was blocking well in the run game uh one particular run up the left sideline he was 10 yards ahead of Aaron Jones lead blocking cool to see that um and yeah Yash has been playing great in David Bakhtiari's absence and with Elton Jenkins going down he's been playing great and I don't know if his play has kind of given the Packers the feeling they can keep Bach out for an a little while longer, make sure he heals more and more. Because um, I was just thinking, if Yash was playing horribly, would they rush Bakhtiari back? Into Most the likely. And my guess would be they would, but Yash playing great, not allowing any sacks, and allowing David Bakhtiari to get a little extra rest as the postseason approaches. And I do believe Bach will be back sometime soon. Uh, we've been saying it since <laughs> training camp, the countdown to Bach, but he will be back. And when he de- when he is, it's going to be glorious. Um, on that tone, do we have any update on Jair and or Zadarius injury-wise? No major updates. I mean, both guys. Zadarius is going to be the last guy to come back. Um, he, a couple weeks ago I saw that he was – Coming back to practice, but still the furthest away from being ready to go as opposed to Bach and Jair. I mean, Jair, this is going to be his third straight week of practice, so who knows when he'll come back. Um, But I do believe Bach and Jair, I don't know about Zedarius. Zedarius is a huge question mark, but Bach and Jair will be back for the playoffs. Mark my words, that's going to happen. Unfortunately, though, for the Green Bay Packers on Saturday, the vast majority of their offensive production came in the first half. The second half was bad. The Packers only scored three points in the second half, and they could not gain a first down. They only gained two first downs in their final four drives. And as a result of not being able to move the ball in the second half, the Packers finished the day just 3 of 10 on first uh, on third down, and they were just not efficient, and they allowed the Browns to come back and make a game of it. Uh, every time the offense would get on the field in that second half, just 
things did not seem to be clicking. And yet, like Devontae Adams said after the game, they took their foot off the gas a little bit. Aaron said that's a cliche, but totally true. Um, but that cannot happen because any team that has a quarterback other than Baker Mayfield probably would have won that game, and that includes Tyler Huntley. And the Ravens, I mean. On the Dan Orlowski show, uh, sorry, sorry, on the Pat McAfee show today, Dan Orlowski had a take, and he said that any other quarterback on the Browns roster would have won that game against the Packers. Well, that's a hot take. That's a hot take. It's an Orlowski bomb, yeah. But uh, he, it's a little bit valid. Baker Mayfield was a big reason that the Browns lost that game, if not the only reason. Yeah. I would say so. I just I feel terrible because it is his fifth year, op, you know, his option year or whatever. So I feel terrible for the guy. But. Uh, I don't feel too bad for him. He's got that big progressive contract. They totally jumped the gun, giving him all that commercial money. Well, well, um, you know, he did establish some type of winning in Cleveland. He was the first guy to do it. So yeah, he did uh, something. He has a huge. He has a great roster around him, and. At this point, uh, for the second straight year, I would say that it appears that Baker Mayfield is the guy holding the Browns back. <laughs> he is the reason that they are a 500 team, a right. below 500 team. Uh, I think it, it's very clear, and it's a great segue to get into the Packers' defensive performance on Saturday uh, because it was perhaps one of the oddest defensive performances I've ever watched with my own two eyes. I mean... The pass rush was fierce. They're getting after Baker. Kenny Clark all came game back long. ferociously. He was making some plays. Kenny, he had a sick. There was a slow motion clip. Uh, I forget who was running the ball, but they handed it off to one of their backs, probably Chubb, but maybe the other guy. And uh, Kenny Clark grabs him with his whole arm, and then his hand goes right around his face mask. And everybody thought it was going to be a face mask, but it stayed flat, and he just clotheslined him to the ground. It was badass. Kenny's presence was definitely felt. A uh, big reason why the Packers didn't have as effective pass rush against the Ravens last week was due to the fact that Kenny was missing. I mean, Kenny is as good as it gets when when it comes to rushing the passer as a nose tackle. I mean, maybe the best in the business. Um but yeah, it was a weird performance because the, the pass rush was fierce. The secondary was constantly intercepting the ball and taking it away from Baker Mayfield and the Browns. But the run defense was just abysmal. And it, they allowed the Browns to just have an absolute field day on the ground and control the clock basically the entire game. But more specifically, in that second half. The second half, the defense just could not get off the field. They could not stop the run, and the Browns were putting together long drive after long drive. Uh, they ran the ball 25 times as a team for 219 total yards. That's eight 8.8 yards per run on the day, and this allowed them to keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline the entire second half. The run defense was atrocious. And uh, obviously, not one man is to blame when it comes to stopping the run. Yeah, Chris Barnes had a horrible day. He was. I didn't hear one thing from Chris Barnes. Horrible day from Chris Barnes. He was bad stopping the run. He was getting killed with screen passes. Just a bad day for the guy. I mean, he's due for one of those every so often. He has a couple really great games and then a, then a stinker. It was just a stinker from Chris Barnes. But you can't blame him completely for the horrible run defense. Stopping the run is an 11-man responsibility. The defensive line just could not win the point of attack. They could not win the push as the ball was getting snapped. The linebackers, they couldn't get to the ball once Chubb and Johnson got to that second level. And then the DBs were missing tackles, and Chubb was just breaking tackles down the field. And it was just tough to watch. The Browns' offensive line dominated the line of scrimmage. And Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson did the rest. Those guys are solid running backs, and they had quite the day on Sunday. I mean, Nick Chubb, that guy's impressive. I, he almost ripped off a big one. Somebody shoestring shoe tackled him right to save that big run, but he almost ripped off like a 40-50 yarder. He's an yarder. impressive running back. I don't know if you saw this, but he is second all-time for rushing yards in first four seasons. That's insane. Second all-time. I mean, he's a stud of a running back, and he finished the day with 17 carries, 126 yards. And on top of that, Dearness Johnson, he only carried the ball four times, and he gained 58 yards on the ground. 
just non-existent running a run stop for the Packers defense. Uh, it was the worst performance stopping the run since the 2019 NFC Championship game, and I don't know how to fix it. Uh, it's been the first time all season we've been dashed on the ground like that, um, and all I could say is that I hope it's the first and last time the Packers get dominated like that for the rest of the season. I mean, Joe Barry obviously has got to go look at that film and fix things yeah, up. Yeah, it had to be a schematic malfunction because they were giving up those little right-over-the-middle throws as well. It's the only way they were really moving the ball, so they must have not had DeAndre, Devondre and uh, Chris Barnes lining up correctly or something. Darnell it, maybe not helping out in the right spots. They but. were just getting their ass kicked by the Browns' offensive line, and it's a credit to the Browns. They, they ran the ran the ball to near perfection what they do best. on Saturday. But like I said, it was the weirdest game that I've ever watched in terms of the Packers' defense because outside of not being able to stop the run to save their lives, the other aspects of the Packers' defense was phenomenal and really the sole reason they were able to hold on to the win. So, yeah, the defense let the team down in terms of being able to stop the run and get the Browns off the field, but at the same time, they're the only reason the Packers won the game. It was a very strange game. Uh, the pass rush, like I said, to start the segment was absolutely ferocious. They pressured Baker Mayfield 21 times, and they sacked him five. Off the edge, three of the Packers' four pass rushers came away with a sack. I mean, Rashawn Gary finished with five pressures and two sacks. I mean, this season he has really become a true star at his position. He could beat his blocker in like every single which way imaginable. Uh, when he first got to the league, there was questions on his ability to utilize all different pass rushing techniques like speed, power, but he's become a complete player in that aspect. He could beat a guy any which way, and, and on Saturday he finished the game as the highest-graded defender on PFF for the entire Packers team. Um, his second sack was huge. It came on a third down deep in the red zone and forced the Browns to settle for a field Took goal of, uh, in the second yeah, half. Put him in a field goal Saved range. the touchdown. I mean, it was a huge play from Rashawn Gary. Um, and on the other side of him, Preston Smith had a phenomenal game of his own. He had four pressures and a sack. I do believe that Preston Smith should have been credited with two sacks. Rashawn Gary's first sack, uh, Preston blew up the entire play, and Rashawn just came in and cleaned up the mess. But... I would have liked to see Preston get credit for that one. Uh, it would have given him two sacks on the day. But nonetheless, his sack was the eighth of the season, which allowed him to meet his second incentive bonus. Eight sacks gets him $750,000 extra on top of his yearly earnings. And with two games left to play, my bet would be that Preston Smith is going to be uh, a, a, a man on a mission. I mean... He still has a ton of sack base incentives to reach, and he's definitely going to look to hit one or two more of them over the final two games of the season. Like I said, with his eighth sack on the year, he gets a $750,000 bonus. If he hits 10, he'll get an additional million. He wants that milli. And if he gets 12, he'll get another million on top of that. So if he could come away with four sacks over the next two weeks... Preston Smith's going to basically get all his incentive bonus checked off his list. So look for Preston to come out these next two weeks looking for blood because he is sniffing two extra million dollars in his bank account. And that's why I wish they gave him credit for that first one. I want Preston to get these incentives so badly. He's having a great season. And, yeah, he only has eight sacks on the year, which is a lot. But he's playing so well. He is constantly getting after the passer. You should get, like, half a sack for, like, an important pressure. Like, not just a pressure, but an important pressure. Or, like, what happened with Rashawn. He should get a half sack for yeah, that, at least. Yeah, that, because that, that sack wouldn't have came down if Preston didn't totally yeah, exactly. win at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he played great. And the other edge rusher to come over with the sack on the day was Tipa. Tipa Galai had a sack on the day. So, shout out to him uh, for coming away with a sack. I know that must have been a good feeling for him. I mean, Tipa, he was called up from the practice squad earlier this year when when when, when, 
when Whitney Merciless went down. That's a tongue twister. When Whitney. Say that 15 when times Whitney, fast. When Whitney, when Whitney. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, but the Packers, they were also able to get pressure from the interior. Like you said, Kenny Clark was back in the lineup, and they were once again able to apply pressure from the inside, something that was missed so much last week against the Ravens. Kenny and Dean Lowry combined for 10 pressures on the day. And although Kenny didn't come away with a sack, Dean Lowry came away with the biggest sack of the game. I mean, third down, he sacks Baker Mayfield for a loss of 11 yards, gets the Browns out of field goal range, and forced them to punt after they put together a 10-play, six-minute drive. I mean, that was the play of the game. If they came away with points on that drive, they win. But no, Dean Lowry stifled that drive, sacks Baker for a huge loss. I mean, before that play, they were looking at like a 52-yard field goal, uh, which is a tough one, and that guy already missed an extra point earlier in the game. And it wasn't a guarantee he was going to make it, but Dean Lowry didn't even give them the option. They sent out that punt team, got the Packers the ball back, and it was a game-saving play from Big Dean up the middle. And in my opinion... There's a lot of them out there, but I'd say that was the play of the game because not allowing points on that drive saved the game. And the productivity that the Packers had rushing the passer forced Baker Mayfield to make some bad decisions under pressure, and it resulted in him having an embarrassing game. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing. I felt bad for him a hair just because it was, I mean, Christmas Day the entire NFL landscape is watching this. He's playing for a big contract, and he let his team down. Baker finished 21 for 36 with 222 yards and two touchdowns. That stat line right there isn't too bad, right? 21 for 36, 222, and two touchdowns. Sounds like a pretty decent game for a quarterback. But Baker Mayfield threw four interceptions, and he finished – Finished the game with a passer rating of just 55. Oh, my goodness. 55 passer rating on the day. Four picks and a 55 passer rating. That has to be one of the lowest of anybody on the season. It's a low one. I didn't go looking at the season lows for passer rating, but, I mean, the only way to sour a a 222-yard game, two touchdowns, is uh, four picks and a 55 passer rating, and he did it. And the four interceptions that he threw – were the biggest contributing factor to the Packers coming away with the victory. The secondary was playing great. I mean, great coverage all day. Like you said earlier, they really only allowed short completions over the top, not a lot of yak either, nothing long, and they were just picking off Baker Mayfield literally every opportunity At will. they gave him. At freaking will. Before the game started, unfortunately, we had no pregame preview this week due to the fact it was Christmas Eve and – we got some things going on here over at the Weekly Cheese Studios where we just couldn't get in and, and get the pregame preview recorded. And before the game, my my mother actually asked me what my prediction was because she didn't get to hear it on the, the pregame preview. And I told her that the Packers are going to have to protect Aaron, which they did. I said they're going to have to stop the run, which they obviously didn't. But then I said Baker Mayfield's going to give them a handful of opportunities to come away with a Hell turnover. Yeah. And when he does, they're going to have to capitalize. That winning the turnover battle is important every week, but this game in particular, because Baker really does once or twice a game leave a ball out there for the defense to come away with. He does it every game for his career. He's done that. And the Packers were able to capitalize on each and every single one of them. He threw three interceptions in the first half alone, and the offense was able to capitalize on each of those interceptions with a touchdown. Great to see. Darnell Savage got the first one. Baker on the second Browns drive of the game. They went down and scored on their first drive quickly. Went up 6-0 after the missed extra point, and then they forced the Packers to punt. So on an important drive for the Cleveland Browns, where they could go up two scores, on the very first play, Darnell Savage picks Baker Mayfield off on a deep ball down the field to Donovan Peoples-Jones. He threw it into double coverage. It was a horrible throw. He th- overthrew him by like two or three yards. And luckily, Darnell Savage did not drop it this time. He came down with it and swung the momentum. 
Obviously, the Packers respond with a touchdown of their own. And on the very next Browns drive, they were able to drive down the field. They made their way down the field slow and methodically. They got into the red zone. And knocking on the door of their second score of the game, Chandon Sullivan picks Baker Mayfield off on the nine-yard line. Game-changing play by Chandon Sullivan. The Packers drive down the field, score again. The Browns, they answered with a touchdown of their own on their next drive, and the score at that point was 14-12 after the Browns failed to convert a two-point conversion, their first failed two-point conversion of the season. I believe that was an interception as well, the two-point conversion failure. Dropped. A drop. Dropped, dropped it. it. He dropped, he dropped it. it. Right, 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 right. It would have been his fifth. But that, yeah, would, would that have counted as a pick? It, it does because I, I know you just stopped the play right there. Or whatever, it would have counted as an interception, yeah. That's and, so funny. Uh, he almost threw it. Stokes made a great play on the ball and just dropped it. Um, and yeah, the Packers at score 14-12. The Packers, they go three and out on their next possession, giving the ball back to the Browns with four minutes to go in the first half and a chance to take the lead going into halftime. Another crucial drive for the Cleveland Browns. Um, and just four plays into that very next drive, Rasul Douglas made a fantastic play on the football. He stunted up, kind of went to go, looked like he was going to cover the guy who was running across the middle. Channon Sullivan came, picked that man up, and Rasul Douglas turns around, makes an amazing play on the ball. He basically ran a corner out, Rasul Douglas, and he picks the ball off perfectly on a, what was a veteran play by Rasul Douglas. Got the Packers the ball back at the 40-yard line with two minutes left to play in the half, and obviously the Packers would go down the field and score a touchdown to go into half with a 21-12 lead. So in the first half alone, Baker Mayfield had three opportunities to go up big on the Packers, Big. And they not, would have been a devastating first half if none of those interceptions were thrown. Devastating. I mean, the like I said, the Browns were moving the ball at will. But when it came time to make a play, Baker Mayfield was under pressure by the amazing pass rush we had going all game, and he made the mistakes that we knew he would. And the Packers were able to capitalize on each and every single one of them in the first half, giving the Packers a 21-12 lead at halftime. Uh, once the second half started... The Packers' defense just could not find ways to effectively stop the Browns' running attack. And the comeback was in action. The Packers' offense was stalling in the second half. Uh, they really couldn't get anything going outside of that first offensive drive of theirs. They punted three consecutive times after that first drive of the second half. And the Browns got the ball back with two minutes left to go in the game, and they just needed a field goal to win. The score was 24-22. Baker had the ball, two-minute drill. Hey, you want a contract? Go down and beat Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field on Christmas. Spoil the record. Spoil all the good feelings in the building. And go get your team in field goal range. Set up a game-winning field goal. How hard is that? You got two minutes? Go make it happen, Baker. You want to be a $100 million quarterback, don't you? Go make it happen. And what would happen from then? Browns, they got the ball to 25 after the touchback. They drive the ball down. Four plays. They get to the 50-yard line. Things are looking sweet Things for are Baker looking Mayfield good for right him. now. Things are looking good for them. They, they got the ball about 40 seconds left at the 50. I believe they have some timeouts, too. They like, do. They did not need to be driving as fast as they were driving, but they were driving. Yeah, they, they got 25 yards in a blink of an eye, and just like that, the Packers were uh, 15 yards away from losing the game. They, they, their backs were against the wall. They needed to come away with a play and keep the Browns right where they were at the 50-yard line. Uh, Baker, after two incomplete passes, brings up a third and 10, I believe 47 seconds left at the 50. When all of a sudden, Ross Sewell Douglas comes up with the big, clutch, game-winning interception once again. He picked them off, physical play on Peoples-Jones on a breaking route. He was coming across the middle, and Russell Douglas was able to just read the play, step in front of the ball, and win the game with another tremendous 
game-winning interception from Rasul Douglas. I mean, Buck and Aikman, obviously Packer haters, were <laughs> calling for a pass interference. They were basically led the entirety of the naive America who was watching the game think the Packers got away with one there. I mean, could they have sounded any less happy that Rasul Douglas intercepted that ball, calling for a pass interference, when in my opinion, Rasul Douglas just made a physical play on the ball. I think Peoples-Jones initiated that contact to begin with. Yeah, and it was timed properly, too. I, I didn't really see an issue with that. No, and not to mention that they weren't calling pass interference like that all game long. And, and back last year in the NFC Championship game, when the Packers were begging for, Packer fans were begging for a penalty on, on the Buccaneers for holding Alan Lazard down the field on three separate occasions. I actually reposted a post of it on my Instagram story, the Weekly Cheese Instagram story of the exact moment I'm talking about. Alan Lazard is clearly being held, and not one person had any sympathy for the Packer fans who were calling for that call at that point. But now the entire world is up in arms because there's no P.I. called on Rasul Douglas on that play. Puh is what I say to that. Puh. <laughs> Rasul Douglas won the game with a sick interception, his second of the game, his fifth pick since joining the Packers in week six. And out of those five interceptions, to make things even crazier, I mean, five interceptions in ten games is a tremendous stat to begin with. But two of those interceptions are pick sixes, and two more of them won the game. Game-winning interceptions. Daggers. Rasul Douglas has been nothing short of a savior for the Packers since joining the team after he got picked up from the practice squad of the Arizona Cardinals in week six. And he has been given the honor of being a Pro Bowl alternate. Wow. He is a Pro Bowl alternate. Wow. Congratulations, Rasul Douglas. Practice squad to Pro Bowl alternate. But we can say that quietly practice at the end. Practice squad to Pro Bowl. Alternate. Practice squad yes, to Pro Bowl. Yes, practice squad to Pro Bowl. Devontae, I believe, also made his, like, 1,000th Pro Bowl. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a prolific uh, Pro Bowler. Yeah. And then one more person from the well, Packers. Well, the Packers had three Pro Bowlers this year, uh, Aaron, Kenny Clark, and Devontae. And last year they had seven. But when you consider the other four guys are Jair, Jair Zadarius, Bakhtiari, and Elton Jenkins. Yeah. I mean— the Packers, all their pro bowlers returned, except for the guys who've missed this season due to injury. And if not for that, they would have seven, now eight pro bowlers yeah, that's awesome. on, the pra- on the Packers roster. And Rasul Douglas is now the first player to have an interception in three straight games at Lambeau Field since Nick Collins did it in 2010. And we all know what happened in 2010. Oh. Packers won the Super Bowl that year. There's a little something in the air There's over there. There's a little something in the air. Rasul Douglas, he's playing like Nick Collins, which is crazy. But my cousin and I are talking. He's basically the Tremont Williams of that Packers postseason run uh, who is coming away with interception after interception, game in and game out. But what could be said about Rasul Douglas? The man is the savior and – I mean, what an acquisition by Goot late in the year. I can't believe he was on a practice squad. It goes to show you how situational the NFL is and how once a player gets into a spot where they're handled properly, given a support system and and trust, a player could flourish. It just takes a change of scenery, and Russell Douglas could not have capitalized on his opportunity anymore. The man is simply a difference maker and a true star on this Packers defense, and I couldn't be happier for him. He totally deserves all the honors that he's getting, <laughs> and he won us another game. Let's go, Rasul. He won us another game. Hell he yeah. is the reason the Packers were able to come away with that victory, and he is the Packers' defensive savior. And another great takeaway from Sunday's game is that there were really no special teams conundrums. It wasn't a great day from the special teams. No explosive returns or uh, blocked kicks or punts or anything like that. No special teams touchdowns. It wasn't a great day from the special teams. But considering the past two weeks, the Packers special teams have (laughs) been so bad, it was a solid day from the Packers special teams. I think there was only like one bad Bajorquez punt, but that's all right. It doesn't matter. Hey, 
one bad punt means a great day from this special teams unit. Yeah. So good on Mo Drain for cleaning things up. And in a game like that, where the where the score is so close, the offense can't get anything going in the second half, the defense is getting ran all over, one special team's mistake would have lost the game. So fortunately, that did not happen. But yeah, the Packers, they got uh, they came away with a victory. They got it done. Uh, and winning is not easy in the NFL. And so, yeah, it might not have been the prettiest victory. It might not have been uh, a victory that the Packers want to hang their hat on or gloat about. It was a victory nonetheless on primetime stage against a playoff team in the Cleveland Browns. And the Packers were able to get it done. And it doesn't matter how you get it done as long as you get it done in the NFL. And the Packers have shown this season that they can find a way to win no matter what's going on exactly. in the game. And that's a huge positive as we move down the final two regular season weeks of this long 2021 NFL season. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Weekly Cheese. As always, if you like it, feel free to like and subscribe. Uh, also follow us on all the social medias at The Weekly Cheese. Uh, TikTok, theweeklycheese.podcast. Also get us on Spotify at The Weekly Cheese. The Weekly Cheese is everywhere. You know that. And hey, if you don't like it, or if you're a Browns fan, Bears fan, Vikings fan, hey, feel free to talk some trash in the comments section. All interaction is good interaction at this point. And yeah, we'll be back this later this week. We'll be giving you a pregame preview before this Sunday night matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, the Vikings might be out of the playoff picture, but you know they're going to be coming oh, to yeah, ruin They want to soil things up in Green Bay. They're saying, hey, you want the divisional championship home seat or whatever? Nah. Yeah, they're looking to come spoil the Packers parade. I mean, they beat... They beat us earlier in the season, and they feel they could do it again. The Vikings are a solid team, and the Packers are going to have to come ready. We're going to get you ready for that game, everything you need to know going into it Saturday, so stay tuned for that. And uh, anything you want to say before we head out of here, Chris? No, Joe, Monday morning hot takes I heard today. You know, the Packers are getting questioned on their legitimacy because they're only winning these games by small margins, but... It t- you do what you do to win, and then at the end of the season, you get your all pros back. So. Exactly, and hey, they're it's not like they're going up against. It's not like they're winning by two points uh, against and one point against the Jaguars and the exactly. Texans. They're playing the the Ravens and the Browns. Exactly, two and they had some teams. special teams hiccups that they're sealing up. Their defense, you know, has to seal a few things up. But like I said, those guys will return, and I think they're primed to make a postseason run. Joe, I'm ready for it. I'm so ready for it as well. Still work to be done. Two more games to win against divisional opponents. Got the Vikings this week, the the Lions in Week 18. So still work to be done. Both of those teams are going to be looking to rain on the Packers parade. And I know that the Packers will take care of business and do what they got to do. They hold their own destiny, and as long as Aaron Rodgers has destiny in his own hands, I feel comfortable. Thanks for all. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Weekly Cheese, the Week 16 recap. Talk to you later this week. And as always, remember the cheese stands alone. Go, Pack, go. Oh.